Do any of you are real, real early to rise kind of people. Uh, we're looking for some turnover for the coffee ministry. And if you are, would like to come early to help make coffee, um, I just throw that out to you because we need somebody uh, beginning the first of the year. And if that's something you would like to do, behind the scenes kind of thing, we could use you. It, it'd be wonderful for you to serve the, the church family in that way. Merry Christmas. Joy to the world. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Those are all the kind of things, right, we associate with Christmas. But there was one person whose anticipation of Jesus' birth was anything but happy or joyful or merry. It was, for him, unequivocally shameful. You know what it is to feel shame, right? There's somewhere within every man's heart, every woman's heart, given the right circumstances, that painful feeling that arises from one's consciousness that something is dishonorable, improper, or foolish. And shame brings humiliation and mortification and embarrassment. For example, you let a little word slip from your lips in mixed company. Loose lips sink ships, you know. Well, late at night, you're on your computer looking at a website that you know is out of bounds. And suddenly, your son bursts through the door. Or your wife. Shame. Or it could, you could be overcome with shame, not due to something you've done, but something that's been done to you. Circumstances beyond your control. I felt shame as a father when I had to go to court and stand alongside my son, not for something I've done, but for something he did. Children have a way of humbling us, don't they? <laughs> or uh, you, you were in eighth grade, and your teacher, for me it was Mr. Conklin, your teacher announced that he's going to announce all the grades, and uh, you're going to come up to his desk one by one and retrieve your grade. He starts with the A's. So he starts with the A's, and you see who goes up, and then the B's, and then the C's, and once he exhausts the list of the C's, and you haven't gone up yet, he starts with the D's, and your name is first to be called. And so you make your way up to his desk with your head held low, and on the way back, after retrieving that paper, you're looking at that big fat red D on the top of your paper, and you're mortified in front of all your peers. What good is shame? How could it ever become a positive feature for your life? I ask that because we're all inclined to carry a burden of shame as a weight around our shoulders. And some of us are doing it even here today. Or you have tried to stuff it and just put it behind you and forget about it. Well, today, God wants you to consider shame and see it in a different light like he did for Joseph. may seem strange to you, but shame was actually a very essential element to the Christmas story. And it comes to light when one begins to compare and consider the difference between how Mary heard about the coming of the Christ child and how Joseph heard about it. And when you compare those two, it comes to light. So let's, let's do that. Last week, last week, Mary heard from angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Dave took her through us. He said, don't be afraid. 
because she was, she was terrified, she was petrified. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God, Gabriel says. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is how she finds out that she's going to have a child. She doesn't understand it all, but she accepts it. What about Joseph? How does Joseph discover it? We often think he finds out about the same way through an angel, but in actuality, it's a little different from what we anticipate. It's described not for us in Luke chapter 1, but in Matthew chapter 1. And so that's where I want to invite you to go with me this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. There's a Bible near you. You'll find it there. It's uh, page 891 in that Bible in the chair. Matthew 1, verse 18. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had, betrothed, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now here's the point. Joseph did not find out about Jesus at first through an angel. Not yet. There is no angel in verse 18. The angel doesn't appear until verse 20. So how does Joseph find out that Mary is pregnant? It's one of two ways. Either he saw the physical changes in her body over the course of a amount of time, or Mary herself told him what had happened. The angel didn't come at this point and say, Joseph, Joseph, it's okay, it's okay, your wife is pregnant, it's not by you, but it's, it's by, by the Holy Spirit, don't worry about it. That didn't happen. And his response to it is different as well as the result. Because we see the result in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So after hearing the news from Mary or from wherever or figuring it out, what is his resolve? Divorce. Now, if he were a typical American teenager, he'd give her $400 and he'd, he'd uh, get an abortion for her. It's easy, it's quick, it's uh, painless, it's cheap, it gets it out of the way quickly, no problem. And the shame too, right? Think again. Because nearly a half million teenage girls take that option every year. It's the preferred solution for what people call an unwanted pregnancy. Thankfully, Joseph and Mary did not have that option. Abortion was very rare in ancient Israel, and Planned Parenthood hadn't opened up a clinic in Nazareth yet. I want you to put yourself in his place. Your fiancé comes to you, and she says, I have some bad news and I got some good news. The bad news is that I'm pregnant. And we haven't even been married yet. The good news is that I haven't been with anybody else. And an angel came to me, Joseph, one night and said, Hail Mary, full of grace, and I'm going to have a miracle baby. Would you believe that story? <laughs> Joseph believed that she'd been unfaithful and was pregnant with another man's child and he wanted a divorce. Imagine what he's going through. Mary, Mary, how could you? Mary, we, we, were, we were betrothed together. Our marriage was signed. What have you done, Mary? Believe it or not, 
it gets one degree worse. Because in the second half of verse 19, there's this particular phrase where it says this. You see there? Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. See, to us that really doesn't mean very much because we assume that it means he just doesn't, doesn't want to embarrass her, right? He just wants her to, things to go away quietly. But that's not what the scripture is talking about here. Joseph, scripture says, was a just and a righteous man. And there's a rich history behind that word just or righteous. The Hebrew word for a just man was tzaddik. Tzaddik. Joseph was a tzaddik. And, and this means that he was known for his uncompromising obedience to the Torah or to the law of Moses. We're going to learn about the law of Moses when you come January 28th to the Old Testament walk through the Bible. There it is. John Ortberg says this. John Ortberg says, Joseph didn't eat unclean food. He didn't mix with the wrong kinds of people. He didn't keep his carpentry shop open on the Sabbath to make a few extra drachmas. He was a zadik. That was, that was his identity. Everybody knew this about him. Nobody invited Joseph over for ham sandwiches with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He was what people wanted to be. Like a young athlete that's training for the Olympics. Like a high school student that has his, his eyes set on West Point, or her eyes set on West Point. An Israelite wanted to be a tzaddik. And becoming one meant that you were admired, that you were looked up to. And here's Joseph, all of 17 years of age, and he's full of promise. And now he's a tzaddik with a problem. The girl he has promised to marry is going to have a baby, and Joseph knows that it's not his. Now this is a small town, as a general rule, a word gets around pretty quickly. Everybody knows everybody's business. And remember now, Joseph was a student of the Torah, and it's clear that he knew the instructions that were given for somebody in Mary's condition. Deuteronomy 22 covers marriage violations. If a woman is pledged to be married and is unfaithful, it says this, Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of their city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing by whoring in her father's house. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Torah was crystal. Joseph's reputation as a dadik was on the line. This sin must be publicly exposed and punished, but he didn't couldn't bring himself to do it. You talk about being torn. This is what was staring Joseph in the face. And when you put these two things together, his fiancée is now pregnant, who he thinks to be someone else's child, and and that she might die brutally, a, a result that he does not want to happen, we need to recognize that for Joseph, this is, a mo- this is a moment of ultimate shame and dishonor. And he's terrified. This is the Christmas story for Joseph. And it must have been heartbreaking. He's deliberating his next move for days, perhaps weeks, I'm not sure. But he's weighing all the alternatives. And he's trying to do the right thing. And it's then, it's then that the angel appears. The angel doesn't come before this. The angel comes here at this moment after verse 19. So verse 20 reads this way. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why did God make Joseph wait and have to think and struggle with all this stuff? Why didn't he just send an angel like he did for Mary and explain it, everything before he, this anxiety had to set in and all the pain? Is it possible that anxiety and pain removal is not God's number one goal for Joseph? Sometimes for you and me. Now maybe through it all, God has something even more for us to know about him. To grow through because of it. I want you to see that the angel does three things. And it's out of these three things that a transformation takes place in Joseph's heart. First we're going to look at them very quickly, and then I'm going to go back and look at each one a little more carefully. Number one is, the first thing the angel does is that he appears. The angel appears. And that's very important because he comes at this critical moment. Number two, the angel gives Joseph instruction. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Third thing that, he, that the angel does that moves Joseph's heart is the message that angel, the angel brings about Jesus, the one who would come, born of his wife, and save his people from their sins. It's out of these three incredible trans, it's out of these three things that an incredible transformation takes place in the heart of Joseph. See, we see a man who wants a divorce, who feels ashamed and dishonored and disgraced and fearful for his wife's life. By the end of the passage, he takes courage. He takes Mary home to be his wife. He doesn't want a divorce anymore. And more than that, he's going to raise Jesus as his own son. So what in the world happened here? How does one move so profoundly from an extreme shame to the other one of courage? What is it that these three things that the angel does that transforms him from being a shameful heart into a hopeful one? What happens? Because if it can change Joseph's heart, could it not change yours and mine? Here's the first thing, the revelation from the angel. Number one, God doesn't reject your shameful moments. God doesn't reject you or your shameful moments. In verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He simply appears. Why is that important for Joseph? Why is that important for shame? Because shame makes us feel like God wants nothing to do with us. Am I right? When you feel really ashamed of yourself or something that's been done to you or happened to you, one of the consequences is that you don't think God wants anything to do with you at that moment. I mean, you look at your own self, your own life, and you say, man, you're sick. What's wrong with you? And you think to yourself, you project that onto God, and you say... God knows that I'm sick too and he's holy and he wants nothing to do with me. God's not going to want anything to do with me. He's going to be as far away from me as he possibly can get. Look at what I just did. Look at what this person did to me. I'm disgusting and God knows it. And that is one of the most powerful 
effects of shame. And we assume that God rejects us and must be far away from us. That's what Joseph very well could have thought. I mean, look at the, what's going on in his life. His engagement is falling apart, and now she's going to die. His reputation's going down the tubes. He's probably telling himself, God doesn't want anything to do with this mess. But the text says, the scripture says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. God is still present in your shameful moment. Think of it this way. It was in this moment when Joseph imagined that God wants nothing to do with him that God is more present than he has ever been before in Joseph's life. An angel of the Lord appears in a dream. It's amazing. It's at a time when he felt the very worst about himself, about his life, that God actually was nearer to him than he had ever been previously in his life. What breaks the power of shame? To realize that in our most shameful moment, God is not going anywhere. Actually, he's nearer than ever. We need to resist the belief that we often have that when things go terribly wrong, God flees. God can't be found. God wants only perfection, you know? He wants only perfection. He only enters into our life when things are perfect, when things are the way they need to be. That's a lie. The Christmas story is just the opposite, isn't it? The whole beauty of Christmas is that, it, it, is that things were not right. The world was screwed up. And God sent Jesus into our world to be especially close to us when it was broken. That's the story of God. That's the story of Christmas. And that can be the story of your life. Yet for some reason we fail to apply that to our own lives and we think, well, you know, because I'm shameful, because there's nothing good in me, things are terrible, I'm, it's humiliating, this has happened to me, God, God can't be here with me. But in truth, it's because of your humiliation, it's because of your shame, that God wants everything to do with you. And that's what the story of Joseph represents. And that's what breaks the power of shame in his story and in our story. Do you see that? It's so important. The second revelation the angel makes to Joseph that can bring about a powerful change in our hearts is this. Take courage in God's opinion of you. That's the instruction. God says, take courage. God doesn't reject your shameful heart moments, but secondly, take courage in God's opinion of you. The angel tells Joseph, look at verse 20. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now why is that important for him to hear? The reason is because the power that shame holds over us is more greatly manifest when we fear the judgment and the condemnation of others, right? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That's what shame is. Shame is not simply how we feel about ourselves. Shame is also magnified in how we think other people look at us. It's not just how we feel, how, we, how terrible as we might feel given a situation, but in addition to that, we think the people on the outside will look and they will judge us for if they knew what was going on, what had happened. 
That's why we don't want to share things. That's why we don't want to share our shame with anybody. That's why we don't want to put it out there because we're afraid, we're fearful if the people come to know what they might think, what they might say, what they might do. There's nothing beyond the grace of God and in this church we need to be able to share that with one another. Because we all know we're sinners saved by grace. Joseph, I think, would probably feel the same way, if not more so. As he thinks about having this child, who that father might be, the time he's going to be off, people are going to know, he's going to come too early, and that's when the, what's, it, what's it going to say to my family? What's it going to say to her family? What's it going to look like to, her, to, her, to the community? What are the, what are the people in the village going to say? The public humiliation of Deuteronomy 22, it's going to be talked about. All these things were going through Joseph's heart and mind. And he's terrified of what other people may think of the situation. But in the terror, God says, don't be afraid. The living God comes into that moment and he says, don't be afraid of what they're going to say. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And it is in that moment that Joseph knows God's opinion. God's opinion, which is far more important than any other person's. He chooses not to live in fear of anyone else's opinion because God himself has told him, don't be afraid. So he takes God at his word. Do you? He takes God at his word so he can go and he can take Mary home as his wife. Most all of you know Carson Wentz. Last Sunday he tore his ACL and he's out for the rest of the season. Story's over. But not really. You may know the number he wears on his jersey. You know the number he wears? What is it? 11. Sure, you know that. But do you know the logo of his charitable foundation that he wears at all the press conferences, on his shirts, on his hat? It also, by the way, has his tattooed on the inside of his right wrist. A01. Audience of one. Namely, Jesus. That's who he plays for. That's whose opinion really counts. Joseph would have been a Carson Wentz fan and likely an Eagles fan. I hate to tell you that, Greg, <laughs> but it stands to reason in my book. I'm sure of it. Because when the angel revealed to Joseph God's opinion of the situation, Joseph internalized the fact that God loves and cares for him. And it's really only his opinion that really matters. An audience of one. Now if only you and I can internalize that as well. What that would do for our shame. What's God say in your shameful moment? What's God say when you mess up? Well, I think it says it right here in Romans 8. He says this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.38 Not even your shame can separate you.
Not even the worst thing you've ever done. Or the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Beyond your Nothing can separate you from God's love. Revelation number three. Third thing that the angel brings that brings about a transformation in Joseph's heart is that God uses your most shameful moments for the good. Finally, the angel's message in verse 20 is that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Right there in verse 20. One of the final powers of shame is the belief that our moments of shame are never redeemed. We tell ourselves, things we've done are wrong. There's simply a black hole. And the best thing you can do is just put it behind you. The humiliating, the shameful things are good for nothing. I don't want to see it for the rest of my life. And you just leave it behind you. That's our coping mechanism. That's what we normally do. Because we think nothing more can come of it. Joseph may have felt that way. In that moment where everything was wrong, that was... That was it was best to forget about it. Move on. Because God is disgusted with it. And he, wants nothing, he has nothing to say to us. Yet the angel appears to him. And what does the angel say? Out of this moment. Out of this child. Out of this particular circumstance. Jesus is going to save his people. Meaning us. From our sins. That God's going to do something wonderfully magnificent. Through the painful moment of Joseph's life. And that's what God can do. He can use the most difficult, most shameful, disgraceful moments of our lives to accomplish great and tremendous good. And that's what God's able to do. He is able to take the absolute lowest moments of your entire life, moments that you like to bury, moments you, you wish you'd never come to the surface again, you'd never think about it again. He can take those moments and he can cause them to be your strengths as well as to bless others at the same time. That's what God can do. Kim and I, we tell ourselves, and we tell our three sons, everything is redeemable with God. Last Sunday, Kim and I talked with somebody from our church who would face some, oh boy, <clears throat> some very, very difficult matters with their adult, adult child, son, and Kim said at one point in the conversation, it must be very hard telling us this. And their response was, oh no, I'm over that. And she goes on and tells us and helps us with information that resulted in some tremendous help with something we've been struggling with, one of our boys. And it's because she's come to that point where she realizes, I can't keep this to myself. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something God can use to help others too. When Kim and I learned that we were infertile, it was heart we were heartbroken. And at first, we didn't want to tell anybody. To be quite honest, we were ashamed. I mean, embarrassed. Not ashamed, but embarrassed. But once we, once we began to proceed through the ropes of, of red, the red tape of adoption, multiple times, all three of our sons are adopted, and, and multiple times are going through, because there are more times than just three that we went through this. We found that what was once a heartache for us 
could now be used to help others find hope and help through their infertility. What's your shame? What have you buried? With God, all things are redeemable. That's what God does. He takes our shame and he makes it his glory. He takes Joseph's shame, he makes it his glory. He takes Mary's shame and he makes it her glory. He takes the cross and he makes it an instrument of glory, right? That's what the cross is. The cross was ultimately an instrument of shame and torture, but God says, I'm going to do something different with it. I'm going to, through my hands, I'm going to make this execution device, I'm going to make it into a symbol of hope for people for generations to come, for thousands of years. And that's the power of God. That's what he does. I think sometimes we don't, we don't really accept the fact that our lives... And we think, well, you know, shame is just shame. God can't do anything. It's all disgusting. He can't touch that. To do so is to minimize the power of God. Because now you know. God is able to take the moments that you never want to look at ever again. And he can make them blossom into something you never dreamed possible. That's what the cross is. That's what Joseph's story is, and that's what Christmas is. What's that moment for you? That moment when you did something shameful. Or something shameful had been done to you. I encourage you that whatever that moment is, to realize today, as you look at it, My friend, it is not too dark, it is not too far, it is not too disgusting to God to reach in there with his own hands and to mold it into something new. What a God. So let God do that right now. Let God reach into that place in your heart, in your life right now, whatever that place is, whatever that moment was, And let him do what he does best to make all things new. I want you to ask you to bow your heads and talk to God right now. I've touched on some very sensitive things here to myself and to all of you. The Holy Spirit's drawing you to to talk to him right now about that shame in your life. Would you ask him right now? Change into my life as you did with Joseph, as you did with the cross. And make it your glory. How can it be used for your glory? Father, the heart of Christmas is a heart of hope and redemption and courage. Our Father, may you help us to shut our ears to the voices that would pull us down, that would destroy us, that would mute us, and rather open our ears and our hearts to the truth and the love and the compassion, especially in our remembering our moments of shame and sin. Would that you would use these things for your glory and the glory of others to help others 
Because, Lord, we're all sinners saved by grace. We have all suffered shame. And you're God of redemption. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.